Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. G'day, welcome to the Low Rate High Returns podcast with me, Pete Wargent, here with Steve Moriarty. Hello, Stephen. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thanks. It's very warm out there today. We're just in the podcast studio where it's about minus two, and then <laughs> outside it's about 50 degrees. Volatility, volatility. <laughs> so uh, today we're going to talk about um, another of the popular investment strategies, the famous dogs of the Dow. Um, before we come on to that, let's talk a bit about something a bit more topical, inflation. It seems got a bit of a food an energy crisis at the time of recording uh, there's nothing for sale in uh, Noosa Woolies there's been flooding mm. in Brisbane there's been ongoing issues with supply chains anyway no loo rolls you definitely can't get a loo roll on the Sunshine Coast at the moment but actually we've also got an energy crisis price of petrol and fuel is a multi-year highs or record highs really floods uh, in New South Wales yes and uh, we already have very tight rental markets and now got uh, tens of thousands of homes have been impacted Mm. uh, by flooding so presumably rents are going to be a big part of the inflation uh, basket this year as well so uh, we've got the the cape ratio which we talk about a lot in the us is currently at about 35 so it's way above the long-term average and a lot of people have said in recent years right well the cape's high because uh, low interest rates and low inflation, and yet here we are now with inflation surging <laughs> towards ten percent. Oh, who knows how high? <laughs> Destroyed <it's>... that argument. <laughs> yes, and obviously there's all the geopolitical tensions that we've talked about before. So, what do you think about the overall macro environment? It, there's a lot of volatility. It's a bit of a chop mm. fest at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Jeez, as we said in the last episode, um, you need to be a bit careful considering what the hell's going on. The the idea of predicting what's going to happen in Russia, Ukraine, or Uh, geopolitics is probably, it's not 100% unknown, but there's a fair, you know, as I sort of said to people in our coaching call last week, I can say to you, look, this is what's going to happen on Monday. And then on Tuesday go, actually, no, that's wrong because this is what happened overnight. You know, so when you write write an essay on Russia-Ukraine predictions and what's going to happen, by the time you get to the end, you've got to go back and start again because there's been, you know, updates and what goes on. So everyone's sort of flying by the seat of their pants. As you mentioned, though, and, and you and I have been talking about inflation for a while. And I honestly have to say, I was, you know, I didn't really know because one crowd says, well, you won't get inflation until you get a wages outbreak and you're not going to get a wages outbreak. Then we had the supply chain issues, which said, now we've got a supply chain issue. We're, we're not going to have a wages outbreak, but we've got inflation. I've now moved to the camp of inflation is going to happen, but I've only done that because of what I perceive as going to be enormous change in supply chains from the Russia-Ukraine issue. Um, You know, when you look at oil exports or you look at weed exports, this is going to put some serious pressure on 
uh, food and energy prices, the multiplier that, you know, basically everything contains oil. Then on top of that, as you mentioned, Pete, you can't get any dunny roll from, you know, Noosa to Lismore. So, you know, those places are going to be a wipeout in terms of the demand down there for building products. I was reading this morning where, you know, and I said this to a couple of young fellas who clients um, who are tradies, you know, the the first thing you do in Brisbane is you quit, you go to Lismore and you earn a thousand bucks a day because, you know, that's where all the money is. So again, there's going to be all these sort of distortions and that will generally raise prices of, you know, rent, everything that'll go up. Yeah, and the central bank has kind of uh, fueled this narrative over the last five years or so. They, they basically said, well, look, inflation's not going to happen until we get higher wages. That means lower unemployment, da da da. But actually, what we've seen is uh, uh, zero interest rates, uh, quantitative easing, massive fiscal stimulus, but then two years where the world's been effectively locked down with all kinds of supply chain issues, which was already um, igniting inflation in some areas. And now we've got geopolitical issues as well. So it's all almost like, I hate the phrase, perfect storm, and yet it kind mm. of feels apt in this, Absolutely. In this Absolutely. instance. So um, obviously some knock-on implications there for stock market volatility. And we're, we, I think we've talked in other in another forum about um, how stocks perform in inflation. Uh, I guess the thing is, we've got a high valuation in the US and that's really the big issue. Um, So that is a nice uh, segue, uh, talking about US stocks into um, the strategy we're going to talk about today, which is the famous Dogs of the Dow, which was um, first written about in the early 1990s, I Mm. think. Um, Yep. So the the book uh, was Beating the Dow. And I guess uh, the... You know, the Dow Jones is one of sort of the oldest and most widely followed uh, stock market indexes in the world, maybe given a bit less weight these days than the S&P 500. Um, There's only 30 stocks in the Dow index. So you're not talking about picking stocks from a a broad arena. It's a relatively sort of narrow sort of uh, index to pick from, uh, created by Michael O'Higgins, the Dogs of the Dow strategy. So um, Steve, it basically runs around the idea of buying the highest dividend payers, but tell us how the strategy yeah. uh, works in practice. Yeah, it's, again, a really simple uh, strategy. Buy, the Dow has 30 stocks. At the end of the year, draw a line, click on the, the highest to lowest dividend yield and buy the lowest, uh, the highest 10 paying dividend uh, stocks. So you're buying 30% of the Dow. Hold it for a year, do the same routine. There's a couple of variations. One is he has this thing called the small dogs of the Dow, which is basically you've got the 10 highest dividend yields. Then out of that, you buy the five that are priced the lowest in dollar terms. So if you've got IBM, which is paying a 6% dividend yield and the stock price is $30 and it's in the bottom, well, you buy, you know, you can buy the five lowest in terms of the dollar prices. So again, a really simple strategy. Um, It's performed really well. I'd like this strategy for a couple of reasons. One is even if you don't implement the whole strategy, and we'll talk about this a bit further, you can select some of the stocks that are in the bottom five or the bottom 10. Because again, you're taking that that approach that we're pushing as a theme in this series, which is buying things that are out of favour or a contrarian type approach on a systematic basis. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty simple strategy and has done pretty well over the, you know, the life of it. 
So the, the basic theory behind this is that uh, by picking the stocks with the highest dividend yield, you're really looking at, to try and buy stocks at the bottom of their business cycle yeah. uh, and thereby hoping to outperform the market. So if you were to apply this in the year of recording, 2022, uh, the stocks you would have picked up would have been, um, as you mentioned, Chevron. You'd pick up energy. So yep. um, other stocks would have been things like Verizon. Um, Dow. Yes, Dow. Uh, Coca-Cola. I've got a little list in front of them. Here we go. IBM yep. that you mentioned. Intel, Coca-Cola, 3M. So now typically US stocks don't have uh, dividend yields as high as the dividends that you get in Australia. But the, the basic principle is pretty simple, really. You're looking to buy the stocks that have been out of favour on the basis that mm. over the coming year or years, um, then those stocks will outperform. So, and, and I guess um, year to date, that's probably held true. You know, I think the oil stocks and the energy stocks are doing well. Absolutely. Um, you know, so uh, how, do, how would this um, strategy have performed over time. I guess typically it has outperformed the Dow um, over the 30 years or so that it's, yep. it's been used. Yep, it's been a generally good performer by outperforming. And again, on those, sense of, uh, on those simple principles of, you know, buy low, sell high, turn them over, um, or, you know, rebalance the, the whole thing after 12 months. Yeah, it's, and again, it's, it's based, as we said, on these really simple principles about buying things systematically that are cheap not hanging on to them for the long term, making money in them and then turning them over to the next one. So what you find is, and the, I, I think the advantage of outperformance comes again from taking a sectoral perspective, a little bit like Draymond, where in Draymond's strategy, what you did was you, you, you chose a stock that fitted a criteria, you know, low PE, low book, within a sector. Whereas with this one, really the stock selection is, is in a sense, not optional. You just buy that stock. Um, and as you said, Pete, you buy energy stocks when they're, when they're traditionally underperforming. And as we know, that usually works out to be a pretty good strategy. So you're getting a dividend, you're getting a big company, you're getting it out of favour, so, you know, this is a, not a bad sort of marriage with our eight timeless principles because, again, you're using this, you're taking this sort of portfolio approach and this systematic principled approach and, and just, you know, repeating it through your investment life cycle. Yeah, so I guess you're to some degree going to mimic the performance of the Dow Jones because you're really you're picking a fair chunk of it, mm. and there will be some periods where the dogs of the Dow strategy actually underperforms the Dow Jones. But if you if you do follow that sort of simple approach and rebalancing, and this uh, various back tests being run, but over ten year periods, you generally will do better than the Dow over that kind of um, time frame. Um, I suppose one of the uh, potential issues here is what if you buy a dog that is a genuine dog you know so it's, yep. it's the most out of favor <laughs> in, in the index but it it actually yes is not a, a temporary uh, business cycle issue it's just a long-term systemic issue either with the business or or with the industry how might that have an impact on the the strategy here yeah it um there's a there's a couple of points there, and you just triggered me on a point about one of the issues with the dow is that it changes over, you know, over its lifetime. So stocks fall out of the Dow, the stocks get put into the Dow. 
Um, now, there's a really, there's an interesting contrarian strategy that says if you buy the stock when it's removed from the Dow, it generally does pretty well. And again, because everybody, you know, there's this general idea of, oh, you've got to put Facebook in the Dow because it's big. And it's like, yeah, OK, but it hasn't been around that long compared to let's get rid of Chevron because, you know, it's a big old oil stock and nobody likes oil. Then you get rid of it, you buy Chevron and you make a lot more money than you do buying, than you will buying Facebook. So there's that point. But to your question, the idea is, and, and we use this with, our, with ETFs, if you're buying an old systemic dividend paying stock, you're not going to expect a growth stock. The other thing you're, you shouldn't, you know, you should sort of take for granted is, nor is it going to go to zero. So it may underperform. And one example that comes to mind is IBM, you know, where everybody thought it was great when Buffett bought it. And then, of course, it's underperformed ever since. In those cases, you've got to, you've got to take the approach of saying, do I, do I turn it over and go, all right, I'm just going to cop a loss and move on, which is a little bit what O'Higgins is sort of saying. Get to the end of the 12 months. If it's, if it's no longer in the dogs of the Dow, you sell it whether you you make or not make money. This is where this one is, again, I think a little bit flawed in not looking at a macro approach because you can do a dogs of the Dow in 2007, but then get absolutely crucified because the Cape ratio is at 28 and the market blows up and, you know, those sorts of things. So personally, I again, for me, portfolio is always about asset allocation and rebalancing. Some days you've got to really focus on asset allocation. The other days you've got to focus on rebalancing. But in terms of the, the individual stocks, if they don't outperform, really you've got to make a decision about saying, I've lost money, I'll sell it. Um, or you can say, well, I'm going to rebalance and put more money into it. Yes. Um, so yes, even though you might outperform the Dow index over a ten-year period, if it's a bad period for the Dow, you're yeah. going to you're you're going to be in that basket. And that's yeah, where yeah, the, absolutely. Uh, that's yeah, yeah. where the asset allocation component comes in. So I guess the takeaway there is that the dogs of the Dow is a very valid investment approach or strategy. But you probably need a macro overlay. You know, if the stock market is a record high valuation. Yeah. Um, even buying the most out of favour stocks might not help you that much over the, the, the years ahead. Yeah, um, it's one, sorry, just on that, Pete, that's an important point because, again, you know, last week we talked about the permanent portfolio. Time in that sense is a bit irrelevant, right, because you're just always doing 25% up or down. In this one, you're, you're choosing individual stocks, so there's another degree of difference that you've got you've to have a think about. And secondly, though, for example, let me give you an example, and this is not a recommendation, but Dow and Verizon are two stocks in the dogs of the Dow. They're, to me, a really good opportunity. The, the PEs are low. They pay a dividend. It's not knocking the house down, but by US standards, it's okay. So they're two stocks you might want to have a look at further. Now, people will say, ah, yes, yeah, Steve, but you said, you know, you shouldn't buy a lot when the Cape ratio is at 35. Absolutely. But the difference with this is you may say, or I will say, look, I know the Cape Ratio is 35 and I know Dow is, is cheap. Can it get cheaper? Absolutely. But if it got cheaper, then I would be fine buying more. Now, the reason why is because I might say, I'm doing dogs of the Dow, but 
my variation is I'm prepared to hold all, hold all those stocks that I buy for 10 years. So where O'Higgins might say, if it makes money or if it doesn't give it the flick, my argument is if it's big enough, it may, with a high degree of probability, revert and you'll be fine. Now, it doesn't mean like IBM or like you mentioned a few about AMP, you know, you buy it and and I always use the, the one on like Woodside, you know, you buy it at 65 in 2007, now you can get it for like 25 um, and it's been a miserable performer. That's the, that's the difficult bit, but that's part of accepting that you're not going to get it right every single time. But again, if you, if you say it doesn't matter what happens in six months because I'm getting a good dividend yield now and I expect that will compound because Dow or Verizon are going to be around for another 100 years, I'll be fine over the long term. I'm not holding it for 10 months. I'm holding it for 10 years. So that's, a, you know, this is again where we talk about you might like dogs of the Dow and there's a dogs of the world strategy. Put your own little variations on it where you go, well, I like to do this. I like to do the small dogs or, you know, look at those variations of it that suit your personality type. A lot of the people listening to this will be Australia-based, and they might say, look, I like the, the concept, but not really that bothered or keen on looking internationally at the Dow Jones. But I guess you could apply the same principles to Australia by looking at, say, the ASX 50. Mm. I think one of the, the issues in Australia that you need to uh, sort of overcome or look at at least is that the index is very heavily weighted. When you look at the biggest um companies in Australia have had BHP and Rio Tinto, so a lot of sort of mining tilt there at the top, and then loads of banks and loads of financials, I guess partly reflecting the sort of real estate obsession in Australia. So if you were to compose a uh, sort of an ASX or Australian equivalent, um, I suppose lots of similar principles might apply. You probably would pick up in the 2022 some energy or oil type uh, related investments, mm. but largely energy, I guess. Um, but what kind of, uh, sort of, if we were to look at this today, if you look at the ASX 50, what kind of stocks would sort of come into this if you were to apply a similar yeah. approach? Yeah, that's a good question. You'd probably end up with stocks like Flight Centre. And I know it's probably taken a bit of a hit with its market cap because the, the price has fallen so much. But the general idea, and I had a look at this, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, I kept a list of the, the underperformers in the ASX 50, and they actually did really well the next year. Now, it was a bit of a mixed bag, though. You know, like, like you get with the dogs of the Dow, you might get seven of them out of the 10 do really well, and three are still stuck in the doldrums. And you generally get that with all these strategies. You know, the you're not going to buy 10 of the Dow stocks at the bottom, and every one of those stocks is going to kill it. You know, that's generally not the way it happens. But again, a lot of these systems are, are based on statistical arbitrage, you know, where you buy 30 stocks, five fail, five don't do that much, but 20 go gangbusters and that makes up for everything. So if you can keep that perspective, that will help. But in terms of Australia, I think, Pete, there was a paper written a while ago about the Australian dogs of the Dow, and I don't know if it had done that well. But don't take my word on that because there was, you know, there might have been variations and criteria um, because, again, like you say, 
the ASX here is really heavily weighted to basically banks, miners and, you know, telcos, Telstra and Woolies and West Farmers, you know, a couple of conglomerates. So, you know, it's a little bit trickier because the variation between the market cap is really quite large. I think the other thing as well, if you're going to go down this route, and this just goes back to our eight timeless principles here, is that if you're going to sort of look at the most out of favour stocks, then you do need to bear in mind the survivorship thing. You don't want to buy a stock that's just so, you know, it's so beaten up that it's actually just going to be a long term problem for you. Thinking back to what's happened over the past couple of years, I'll, I'll pick out one really good example. I, um, a few years ago now, uh, went to a Switzer event for my sins up in Brisbane and they were listening to a few uh, of the presenters and one of the ladies that I probably can't remember which investment house she was from she was talking about Sydney Airport as one of their favourite sort of long-term infrastructure stocks mm. you know it's a bit of a toll booth type company Monopoly, yeah. yeah and I thought well this this makes good sense but I was thinking I'm not really that keen on it at eight eight dollars but you know, obviously we went through a pandemic and, you know, the, the stock got absolutely bashed and beaten up. That was a really good example of where um, the, the sort of this kind of approach uh, really came into its own. You could buy a brilliant long term investment for effectively, you know, 50 percent off or not far off. Yep. And it's, it's worked out very well. Uh, Auckland Airport was another one I had a crack at. Not quite as good a result, but actually still a similar principle. You're getting a a long-term monopoly. Yep. Yes, they can build a second airport, but in the end, people are still going to be flying in to Kingswood Smith and it, it's going to be a long-term good play. Um, I suppose where you could get into trouble here is if you say, all right, I'm going to look at travel stocks or airlines or something where yeah, yeah. you know, you're really actually risking a business going under because you know two years of business disruption. Uh, there's a lot of validity to the strategy and it's um, certainly in the case of the Dow, there's, there's long-term outperformance to actually justify the approach. You've just got to be a bit careful about what you're doing and not overexposing yourself to, a, um, a, I guess, a, a risk of a really bad investment in one particular stock. Yeah, it, again, it's that taking that systematic approach of saying, I'm just going to blindly buy the 10 bottom stocks and, you know, go from there. As we've sort of been mentioning through this series, it's really hard to do that because, you just subjectively, you know, this is why I think ETFs are really advantageous because with individual stocks, there's a million things you can, th reasons why you wouldn't buy Verizon. You know, there's a million reasons why you wouldn't buy Dow, even though the dividends are attractive and that sort of stuff. And it's, it's really hard to do. But this is why these systematic strategies are really good if you can pull out the the essence of them or the core or the principles, which is what we sort of attempt to do by, and again, by saying, look, you are not going to win every single time you invest. But if you buy low, sell high, diversify asset allocation, you know, our thought and action principles, if you do that, you will raise the probability that you will have a, you know, that you will do well over an investing life cycle, which, you know, let's face it, for most of us is 20, 30 to 40 years. Um, and so you can use these strategies. You might do 50 as an index and you might use, you know, 25 for dogs of the Dow. Or, so you can, you can mix and match. All you want to do is make sure that you're not replicating the same strategies in, in every sort of thing you're doing because then you're just going to pay a heap of fees. But you might use Draymond strategy for small caps, 
you might use an ETF strategy like we do, for, for example, for Well3 portfolio. Um, and you might use our dogs of the Dow strategy as a medium level, a medium term you know, strategy. So there's, there's plenty of flexibility there. And again, it always gets back to where are you in your life cycle? What sort of investor are you? You know, last week we talked about the permanent portfolio. I mean, honestly, it'd take you 15 minutes a year. So some people might say, I've only got 15 minutes. It's like, right, well, that's a good strategy for you. You don't want to sell them on a strategy that says you've got to look at the stocks every month or, you know, it's a trend and you've got to watch this line and that line. It's much easier for these systems generally on an annual basis. One decision in January, one decision the next January, there it is. That's your, that's your strategy. Yeah, so I think that this is where you really need to sort of tailor these things to your own uh, circumstances and you know, I think uh, this is a good case in point. I like stocks, but I don't love it. I don't see, I don't have time or inclination to be looking at the market all day, every day. Yeah. Some people do. You're much more uh, sort of in tune to markets on a daily or weekly basis than I am. I think if you look at the, the eight timeless principles that we use, I think the dogs of the Dow strategy, it spends less time worrying about the market cycle and it spends more time just focusing on the sort of buy low aspect. Um, but that's okay as long as you fit it into your overall strategy and approach. So we'll put a link in the show notes to a few resources. There's obviously the book uh, Beating the Dow, and there's a, a sort of more updated or revised edition that you can look at that was um, updated around 2000. Uh, there's also a website actually these days you can go to Dogs mm. of the Dow, uh, which is a good resource you can look at as well. Anything else, um, Steve, that yeah, we should cover off there? Yeah, a couple of things. He also wrote a book called Beating Beating the Bonds, uh, Beating Bonds, I think, or something. Beating the Dow with Bonds. So, again, this principle about, you know, buying the shitty ones and, and letting them do their work. Just what I want to mention, because last week we talked about the permanent portfolio, he brought out this, Michael O'Higgins developed this strategy called MORE, M-O-A-R, and I think it was, you know, absolute return strategy. And it's very similar to the permanent portfolio, but I'll, I'll just read what it is here. That's probably easy. The MORE strategy has historically produced relatively high returns with very low volatility by spreading assets across four distinct asset classes, undervalued global stocks. And that's where, you know, dogs of the Dow, uh, dogs of the world strategy, um, physical gold or platinum, intermediate treasury bonds and long-term treasury bonds. The assets are rebalanced annually. So he moved this, I think this was developed not that long ago, maybe 10 years ago. And you can look at michaelohiggins.com to have a look at it. But again, it's this sort of idea of a constant type of strategy, simple rebalancing principles, do it in a methodical approach. And, you know, again, in the uptimes, you'll be pruning some, the roses and, you know, you'll be planting more fertiliser on, on the ones that aren't doing well. And so, again, you'll just be turning over this sort of systematic approach. Um, so it's one that you can, you know, again, what we want to do is just say to people, go and have a look at these strategies because generally what you do or what I've found is over the years, you develop your own philosophy of saying, no, 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 I don't like that stuff. I don't, I don't want to do small cap stocks. They're too volatile. I want to do big ETFs. And so, you know, what, as I said, what we want to do is just say to people, 
Here's a whole range of strategies. You might go away going, hey, I really like that dog to the Dow. That sounds simple. I get to buy companies. I don't need to know too much about them because they're big dividend payers. And so again, that'll stand you in really good stead for the future. Yes, and uh, I guess that really is the overarching theme of this mini-series is looking at some of the popular investment strategies that have been put forward over the years, but you really want to try and find the one mm. or, or a combination, really, that works for you. And um, if you can apply the eight timeless principles at the same time, that will stand you in really good stead. So a few resources in the show notes there, and next week we'll take another look at one more investment strategy. Thanks for joining. Cheers, Steve. Cheers. See you, Pete. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.